This podcast on medical lessons is brought to you by Solidamed in partnership with Lestenstein Development Agency. You are listening to ZMed Podcast, the platform that brings you interesting discussion in medical education. I'm your host, Mary Kuyela from Solidamed, the Swiss Organization for Health in Africa. And today I'm so excited because we have an interesting topic which is cryptococcal meningitis. And to help us with our discussion today, I'm joined by Lloyd Mandamena. Hi Lloyd and welcome to ZMED Podcast. Thank you so much, Mary. Great. So Lloyd, today we're discussing cryptococcal meningitis and it still remains a significant cause of morbidity and mortality among patients living with human immunodeficiency virus, that's HIV. The prevalence in the developed world has decreased as HIV is being diagnosed earlier. I'm glad we're discussing cryptococcal meningitis because you are seeing these patients and you are the ones who screen and manage them. Before we go directly into our discussion, what is meningitis? Um, Meningitis is simply the inflammation of the meninges. Now, when you talk about the the meninges, these are basically the layers that surround the brain as well as the spinal cord. And the same, it might be due to infection most of the time. Okay, so it's basically the inflammation of the meninges. Correct. All right. So how then can one define cryptococcal meningitis? Yes, so when we talk about cryptococcal meningitis, we are talking about the meningitis that is being caused by a fungal infection. In particular, it's the cryptococcal neoformans. Uh, sometimes it might be gut, but this one it is very rare. But the commonest that we are seeing in our setting is the one that is being caused by neoformans. So how common is a cryptococcal meningitis in our setup? Wow. I know you might not have the, the exact numbers, the figures, but try to estimate. Wow. Um, as we have mentioned, it is true even in the, um, our setup. Um, it is not um, quite common, but when you talk about those people that are not adhering to medication, which are ARVs, the majority that we are having those patients are coming with cryptococcal meningitis. So it is quite common in those who are not taking the medication, but in general population, it is not very much common. All right. Who else is at risk of having cryptococcal meningitis? Um, When we talk about cryptococcal meningitis, um, we have mentioned that it's the infection of the fungal. The people that have got HIV or immunocompromised, um, we have got two individuals, those who are immunocompromised and those who are immunocompetent. So when you talk about those who are immunocompromised, it could be people who are HIV positive and they are not taking their medication. Um, then sometimes we are talking about those people who are maybe on drugs that are suppressing their immune system. For instance, those who are maybe um, receiving uh, maybe donor uh, transplant, um, which is not common in our area. It might be also those people that um, maybe they have got some underlying conditions like cancer, uh, those who have got conditions maybe diabetes and so forth. So as long as the immune system is compromised, those people they are at higher risk in terms of getting this infection. While on the other side, for those that are immunocompetent, 
it's very much rare that you're going to find them developing this cryptococcal meningitis. What causes cryptococcal meningitis? Uh, so basically it's the fungal infection um, which is caused by cryptococcal neoformans as I have mentioned earlier or in rare cases it's the cryptococcal gut. Okay, so from your experience Lloyd, what are the cardinal features with someone uh, having cryptococcal meningitis? Uh, when we talk about the cardinal features, just like any other type of meningitis, um, the cardinal features, uh, mostly you are going to have a headache, um, you might also have a fever. But now again, it depends with the level or the degree of infection. Um, I'll give you a scenario. Okay? So now, um, there was a patient which um, I, I once had. This patient had only headache. And um, when the patient was going to the local clinics, they used to give a different type of medication and they didn't suspect that this patient could have a meningitis. So now when this patient came to, to our hospital and um, our routine, we are screening each and every patient that comes for HIV. And this patient found to be positive. And because of the chronic headache which this patient had, we decided that we should investigate even for cryptococcal meningitis. And it came out positive. This was the patient who came walking. This was the patient who looked fit. Um, and um, you can't even suspect that they could have cryptococcal meningitis. On the other hand, we also had a certain patient who came with the classical signs. Now, when you talk about classical signs of meningitis, we are talking about the headache that we have spoken about. We are talking about the altered level of consciousness because the brain might also be affected other than the, uh, the membranes. The brain might also be affected. Then this patient came with a um, non-HIV status. The patient was not taking the ARVs. It was a, a defaulter. So when you look at these two scenarios, it can give you an overview that it is not always that you might have the classical signs and symptoms. So this patient who came walking and this patient who was sick, the one who was more sick came with more classical signs and symptoms, unlike the one who was just walking. So when we talk about now listing the signs and symptoms, headache, fever, altered level of consciousness, someone might come with the convulsions and so forth. So the, the brain is affected, then those people are having signs and symptoms of cryptococcal meningitis. Kindly run us through the pathogenesis of cryptococcal meningitis. What's the mechanism behind what processes happen in the human body? First of all, um, let me also mention that uh, cryptococcal uh, infections, it's one of the opportunistic infections. Usually it doesn't occur most commonly in patients who are immunocompetent. So what happens if when someone um, acquires this cryptococcal, neoformans usually it's there through inhalation okay so when they have the chest infection of the cryptococcal what will happen it depends with the immune system of an individual if this person is immunocompetent the immune system is able to fight the infection just there in the lungs however for someone who is hiv positive with a very low immuno um, immune system the body is unable to fight this infection. As a result, there will be a quick or rapid dissemination of the infection. The infection will go to different parts of the body. And one of the 
area that uh, this infection will find itself, it's in the uh, brain, the meninges will be affected. You might have different uh, clinical presentation, there might be also some skin manifestation. But now, when it goes to the brain, then this person, because we have got the layers that is trying to protect the brain and the spinal cord, they are the ones that are going to be inflamed. Therefore, the patient now will present with those signs and symptoms that we have mentioned. In trying to, to make a diagnosis of cryptococcal meningitis, what kind of inv investigations are you supposed to do and what information are you supposed to get from the patient to help you in the diagnosis of uh, cryptococcal meningitis? When you talk about diagnosis, the most important thing, other than the investigations, first it's your history. If you get your history, it will give you at least 80% of the information that you need for you to suspect that someone has got meningitis or cryptococcal meningitis. Other than that, you need to examine the patient because there are clinical signs that are more suggestive of meningitis. So when you examine the patient, then we are going to subject now this patient to investigations. Now when we talk about investigations, there are specific investigations and non-specific investigations. So when we talk about non-specific investigations, we are talking about even HIV itself because we know that one of the predisposing factors is HIV infection. Then others, we are going to do the full blood count, river function test and renal function test. Then now when you go to specific tests, we are going to do the lumbar puncture then so that you can do the CSF studies. Then the other thing, we can also get blood, you do the um, hematological tests uh, for cryptococcal antigen test. These are specific mostly to cryptococcal meningitis and they can help us to come up with a diagnosis of meningitis. Okay, for the sake of our listeners, those in their first years who might not really understand the anatomy and um, the physiology, kindly explain in simpler terms what you mean by lumbar puncture. Why are you doing lumbar puncture? What are the indications? So when you talk about the lumbar puncture, we know that the, the central nervous system, it has got two components. It has got the brain and the spinal cord. And now below the spinal cord, we have got what we call the cerebrospinal fluid. These are the fluids that are running in the um, arachnoid area, space. So we mentioned about the layers of the, the membranes that cover the brain. So we say the dura mater, the pia mater, and the arachnoid. So now in the subarachnoid space, where you're going to find the arachnoid, this is where the, the CSF, the fluid. So there's a connection of these fluids from the brain up to all the way down the spinal cord. So now when we talk about the lumbar puncture, we want to access the cerebrospinal fluid um, below the spinal cord because if the spinal cord, where the nerves are ending, we have to go a bit down. So we are supposed to, to get the cerebrospinal fluid through the lumbar intervertebral area. Okay? So now, um, when you talk about where is it safe, the lumbar region, we have to go below L2, which is lumbar 2. Between 2 and 3, 3 and 4 or below it is safer. So we are supposed to go through in with the, the needle. But there are indications for us to do that. One of the greatest indications that is there, we are talking about someone we are suspecting to have 
um, meningitis. It, not necessarily uh, cryptococcal meningitis, but any form of meningitis, because it is going to help us to understand what type of meningitis this patient is having. Then um, there are contraindications to this fact, because not each and every person that comes, we have to do the rumba puncture directly. One, if someone has come with the lowered consciousness level, if you do the lumbar puncture sometimes, you might harm the patient. Then when you look at the skin where we are supposed to push through the needle, if there are signs of infection there, then we cannot do the lumbar puncture because if we try to do it, we are going to introduce the infection in the cerebrospinal fluid. So we are not going to do that. So basically, those are the, some of the important points on lumbar puncture. You mean to say the specific uh, investigation is it's lumbar puncture? Lumbar puncture is a gold standard because it is going to help us. As we do the CSF studies, it will help us to understand the type of meningitis that we are dealing with. And one of them is the cryptococcal meningitis where we are supposed to do the Indian ink test which will tell us whether this patient has got cryptococcal meningitis or not. Okay. Having made uh, the diagnosis of uh, cryptococcal meningitis, what then is uh, the treatment option? Or how do you go about in the management of such a person with uh, cryptococcal meningitis? So when we are talking about treatment or management of this patient, we have to manage this patient very carefully. Because if we don't, then we might end up losing a patient. This is a patient most of the time, a patient who is HIV positive. So sometimes some, some clinicians might want to commence the ARVs if this patient is not on ARVs. I think it is worth mentioning to say that ARVs are not uh, an emergency treatment. When this patient comes, cryptococcal meningitis is one of the eight defining conditions, meaning the patient is in stage four. So first of all, we need to treat this meningitis before we start thinking of introducing the ARVs. Okay, so we are going to make sure that we start treating the cryptococcal meningitis. So we have got um, our current recommendation is to start this patient with the amphotericin B. There are three stages in management of um, cryptococcal meningitis. First of all, we are going to do the induction stage. Induction stage, it is where we are going to give the 14 days treatment, mostly we use the uh, amphotericin B. Thereafter, we have got uh, the consolidation stage. Under consolidation stage, we use fluconazole. Okay? So fluconazole we are going to give about 8 to 10 weeks of treatment. Then thereafter, there is maintenance stage. Maintenance stage is after we have treated this meningi meningitis, then we are going to put this patient on um, a prophylactic dose, about 200 milligrams of fluconazole, um, until the CD4 has improved. Because we mentioned that most of the time these patients are AIDS patients. So um, then after that, uh, when we see that we have treated meningitis successively, then we need to link this patient to care. We need to take care of any other comorbidities which are there, we need to start the ARVs as well, so that now, as we give the ARVs, the immune system of this patient is going to improve. Then the patient, as long as the CD4 has improved, it means that they will be protected against this form of uh, meningitis.
in a case where AIDS patient is already on treatment for, for ARVs, are they allowed to take uh, the same medication for cryptococcal meningitis together with the ARVs? Um, most patients when they are in an ideal situation, someone who is getting these ARVs most of the time they will be immune competent and the chances of them developing the cryptococcal meningitis are very slim. However, we cannot say that always no one can come um, with the cryptococcal meningitis. It is possible. Now, when they come, they are already on treatment. There is no role for us to stop uh, this patient from taking ARVs. They are supposed to continue taking the ARVs as well as the, the antifungal medication for cryptococcal infection. Okay. What other supportive uh, treatments do you put them on? When you talk about supportive, it is now according to the symptoms the patient has. So if this patient has, they, they are coming with seizures, we might also put them on, on anti-seizure medications. When the intracranial pressure is raised, in these patients we also do some lumbar puncture for therapeutic purposes, not for diagnostic. The one that we mentioned is for diagnostic, where we, we, we get the CSF so that we do the CSF studies. But sometimes when there is increased intracranial pressure, we do repeated lumbar punctures for therapeutic purposes, where we want to make sure that the condition of the patient improves as we reduce the pressure through withdrawing some of the CSF from the patient. Thank you so much, Lloyd, for featuring on ZMED Podcast. But before we close our discussion, what are your last words to the listeners? What's the take-home message? We need to make sure that we sensitize people on the importance of taking the ARVs. Because if they are not taking their ARVs, most of the time they might end up having cryptococcal meningitis. And this is one of the infections that has got a high mortality. Once someone has it, most of the time people might end up dying, especially if in terms of diagnosis it is missed due to uh, limited resources like in some of our places. So let's make sure that we prevent it. That is one of the most important things by encouraging all people that are HIV positive to be taking their medication. And when we have got someone that is complaining of a headache, let us not just uh, take it for granted. Let's make sure that we screen them for meningitis as well. When we do that, we are going to reduce the mortality due to cryptococcal meningitis. Great. Thank you for listening to ZMED Podcast. I hope you understand the pathogenesis of cryptococcal meningitis as well as the classical features of cryptococcal meningitis. This podcast on medical lessons is brought to you by Solidamed in partnership with Lestenstein Development Agency.